want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sides TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? My feet hurt. But I don't think it hurts as much as NBC's pride should hurt right now. <laughs> because? Because, okay, it's one thing to revive a show that, as far as I know, no one wanted revived in the form of Heroes. It's another to, like, sheepishly announce it on a Saturday at around 11 p.m. Eastern. Mm -hmm. What was that about? Well, I just don't know who was clamoring for a revival of Heroes. Hadn't we all pretty much agreed that it started out with promise and that we were hopeful in the first season, but then it just kind of slowly it just collapsed like a flan in a cupboard? Full disclosure, I never watched Heroes. I have a copy of, like, I have a, box of the first season sitting in my basement right now but i've never opened it i've read a lot about it and everything i've read suggests never open the box but yeah i i, I didn't know of a single person who thought that bringing it back was a good idea unless of course they could somehow sucker brian fuller into running it which is just not going to happen no and, not they've, and they've at clearly all. stated isn't isn't going to be the case well and, and that was like i've said before on the the podcast and various brian fuller dvd shelves uh i stuck with heroes you know i, watched, I enjoyed the first season and then it clearly like for me at least it went significantly downhill in that second season but they kept promising oh we're gonna bring brian fuller back to be <laughs> more involved because of course he his episodes his episode was the best episode of the first season and i was a big fan of his and then episode one yeah singular yeah well but you know they kept saying that he was going to come back on as like you know very involved creative force on the show and then he kept not because he was doing pushing daisies and other stuff that was more interesting and, and so i stuck with that show for three years waiting for brian Fuller to come back before i finally broke up with it I mean, I'm I'm at, you know, I'm going to watch the first episode of that for the for the podcast. So we'll see, but I have no interest in in Heroes Reborn, right? Is what they're calling it. That's what they're calling it. So I don't know who thought I mean, I understand the NBC is really trying to get different uh D different kinds of viewers and new programming and all that, but Heroes my, really guys? My favorite thing about the announcement is or what was the statement of you never know. Maybe some old familiar faces will pop back and you can just almost hear all the old actors just slowly backing away. <laughs> well, you know, we'll see what happens with it. Uh, but but th that is, you know, that was a very entertaining email to wake up to on, on Sunday morning. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been fun following that but there's been other tv talk this week that's been more more interesting we heard from a bunch of you guys 
this week on Twitter and on, on Facebook and at the website. Sasha says, walking and talking didn't start with West Wing. Just watch a couple episodes of St. Elsewhere, 82 to 88, and you'll see plenty of walking and talking in the hospital hallways. So thank you, Sasha. Uh, I have not seen very much. I've seen actually almost no St. Elsewhere. So I, I did not realize that, and I look forward to catching up with that at some point. Can you think of other walk and talk shows that predate West Wing, Simon? Oh, God, I just want to stop thinking about the West Wing. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Kyle says, I didn't listen to the True Detective segment because I haven't started the series yet, but as to bad resolution versus no resolution, which, of course, was the question of the week, I would take any resolution over none, though Sopranos and Lost really tested me. I wish every series would record a five-minute series ender every season just in case they aren't picked up to give uh, fans an ending. They can just scrap it next year if need be. What do you think? The Sopranos ending is perfect, and I will hear no ill will directed towards it. And I really like the lost ending, but uh, you know, I I I know it's, that's not always a popular uh, opinion. What do you think about the you know just in case five minute ending? I don't know if I can get behind that. It sounds a little bit too Poochie died on the way home to his planet situation. Didn't there's just too many shows for whom that would like I can't imagine a five minute thing working. Maybe a full episode, but even then, I don't know. It's just I think part of the joy of TV is just the chaos of it. And I mean, although that has been diminishing for various reasons, because people are more cognizant of these things, but I kind of like the fact that, you know, you can be really invested in something and then it can just break your heart terribly because that's the medium. And other times things go really well. It's like life itself. <laughs> well, for me, there aren't very many shows that I can think of where it ended unsatisfyingly, where at the end of the season happens and there's... You know, I like, like people often point to Deadwood, but I think that Deadwood ending is great. I think that works really well for the show. It fits very much with the with the the themes and the ideas of the series. And so I don't think that's a you know a non resolution ending. I think the end. I know some people point to like the Veronica Mars ending, but I think that is like perfect for the series too. What are some of these finales that are uh, that you can think of that have left fans unsatisfied? Uh. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, but the Battlestar finale isn't good, and the Lost one isn't either. Okay, I mean, you're wrong, but that's fine. Um, I mean, I just feel like the problem with some of those finales is just that there wasn't more of the show afterwards. Like, it's not, it's nothing to do that's wrong necessarily with the episodes, but especially with Deadwood, you're just like, why isn't there a whole nother thing of that that I just saw, and maybe more of that than even that also? Like, it, it it doesn't feel like there's anything particular. And same with Veronica Mars. Like, I'm not crazy about that last season, but the finale is pretty good. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, I'm trying to think of, I mean, the 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 ending of Rubicon is pretty terrible. That's true. That's true. That's a good example. Okay, I'll give you that yeah, one. That, that That's an example of one that just, it's just like, throw your hands in the air. Bah! <laughs> that's just the end, folks. Shut up, up, but up, up. Yeah, usually the shows that end on massive cliffhangers and then don't get picked up again are not shows that I that I am following. I, most of the shows that I follow, they they start to get a sense that they're going to be canceled, so they start to you know move towards resolution, and that's what happens yeah. when you watch horribly underviewed shows. But even sometimes that can work. Like I mean, the Terriers thing wasn't really a cliffhanger, but I, I, it had sort of a cliffhanger feel, and it still worked. And I and I really love the Twin Peaks finale, mm -hmm. which is kind of the mother of all cliffhangers. 
It's that true. will never be resolved. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Kyle, for the the response because that is that is uh, an interesting idea, and I know it's one that I've I've heard other people uh, request in the past as well. Sean says, uh, generally, I prefer no resolution to a bad resolution as well. But then there's some stuff like Stephen King novels that often have a bad resolutions, but they need resolution in some way. So here's my no resolution answer. It depends on the story. And I think that's a, you know, a very rational response. Carl says, no resolution trumps bad, bad resolution 100 times out of 100. Uh, Kate and Simon, I agree that no resolution is far more satisfying than a bad resolution, especially if the point is that you spend time with the characters and enjoy the storytelling versus being manipulated by plot twists. I think no resolution was bad in The Killing Season 1 because it was all about red herrings and pumping up the whodunit. I do think we can get resolutions in True Detective that have nothing to do with who the killer is, like how do all the relationships resolve, etc. I will most be pleased if they get go the whole religious people are bad route, but uh, we will see. One of my favorite movies is John Sayles' Limbo, which by the title suggests how it might end. I think the ending is classic, but people who I have suggested to hate that it does not resolve, so I think I might be in the minority on this one. Well, not around here you're not, I don't think. John Manuel says, no resolution uh, between those two options. I've been stung one too many times. The 4400, Lost, Battlestar Galactica. Uh, so yeah, some of those other ones we were already referencing. Uh, we heard from you guys about other topics as well. I talked about the Amazing Race Pool with Dan, Paul, Bob, and Kyle, and we'll talk about the Amazing Race premiere a little bit little on, later on in the podcast. Julius says the Sorkin West Wing never solved anything. We were talking about how that was a little frustrating, how they like solved world, you know, world peace in the course of a sweeps episode or something. Uh, Julius continues that uh, problems always continue. The solving things only happen post-Sorkin, and that's why I hate the late years. Mario says that we are right about Janie's, Elsa and Janie's star rising after the West Wing, but I definitely remember her just before for movies like American Beauty, The Ice Storm, and uh, Primary Colors. Ricky says, I'd like to see a cross up, uh, crossover episodes of Girls and Looking that features Patrick and Marnie getting run over by a garbage truck. Ouch. Oof. <laughs> and uh let's see carl wants to know if i if i had seen any of the americans yet and we'll talk about the american season two later in the podcast and he wants to know how it rates from one to five wigs with five wigs being the most awesomest uh and i i have to give it a five out of five wigs carl to tease that we'll talk Ooh. we'll talk about that a little later in the show how would you rate season one personally I, i'd give it i give it four out of five wigs Four. I, I'm like thinking like four and a hairpiece, so like four and a half out of five wigs. So we'll talk about that a little later. Also, a bunch of Walking Dead talk on there, but that's why we had the Sound of Sight Walking Dead podcast to discuss that. And you can, of course, find that in your Televerse iTunes feed, MP3 or M4A feed should both have the Sound of Sight Walking Dead podcast. This week we talk about Claimed, and it's myself and the editor-in-chief of Sound on Sight, Ricky D, as well as our guest this week, who's Depayan Sengupta, who's been on the Televerse before and is the, is Ricky's co-host for the, the Sound of Sight True Detective podcast. Also at Sound of Sight right now, it's... Uh, we're finishing up the Disney month. So there's a, a bunch of fun articles. I saw one about Bambi and the imagery of fawns and, and relating to other Disney works. There's some nice Sleeping Beauty talk on there. A bunch of different Disney films and projects being explored on the site. So if that's of interest to you, check out the website. Next month, it's Pilots, Greatest Pilots uh, Part 2. So there will be more coming with that. And please continue to let us know about the shows you you think are under contention or should be in contention for greatest pilots because we, you know, we're always curious to see what you guys have to say. There were no iTunes ratings or reviews this week, but maybe we'll get one next week. We always do appreciate uh, if you guys can let us know what you think of the podcast. Hopefully you like it. If you don't, I don't 
understand why you're not why why you're still listening but you know that's that's cool you know maybe you're hate listening and that i like to hear about that too that would be entertaining i wonder if anyone's ever hate listened to us i'd never really considered that before i would like to think it's happened maybe with the walking i know we got some 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 hate mail about the walking dead podcast for a while when we weren't as as up on the show but i i don't i can't imagine for 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 televerse uh, let, let us know let us know i would be curious <laughs> but uh for now we should go to our first segment of course at the end of the podcast this is a episode 130 so instead of a dvd shelf we're going to have our informed opinion segment and this week we talked to medicine and doctors with two different doctors steph and rob so that'll be coming at the end of the podcast that was a lot of fun there's a uh sharp intake of breath moment you know that's going to be coming in that so you've been warned yes Yes, yeah, there's, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for now, we'll take a break, and we're going to come back to to preview a few of the shows that are starting up this week on uh, on the networks and on FX and some other places as well. So we'll be right back with that after this. How are we going to live like this? We'll get used to it. You're a danger, you little stranger. I mean, you help take out a surveillance thing. Take out? We have our children here. We feared this day would come, but this is something very different. The Americans premieres Wednesday, February 26th at 10, only on FX. With the Olympics done, it is time for all of the TV to come back. All of the TV is coming back this week. It's kind of insane. Uh, but with that comes a few new shows, including tonight, Tuesday the 25th. Mind Games is going to premiere on ABC. We discussed that last week. And then tomorrow, uh, Wednesday the 26th, we have Mixology starting up on ABC. And then on FXX, Legit Season 2 is starting. Ali G Resurrection is starting. And then on FX itself, the original you know network there, we have The Americans Season 2 starting up. I feel like we should get Mixology out of the way first. What do you say? Uh, yeah, you should, you should do that because I'm never going to watch it. Yep, I've seen three episodes. I, I want to say it's three episodes of Mixology. The, this is a... I guess it's trying to be a romantic comedy, you know, rom-com, sitcom, but it's just, it's terrible, guys. It's really not good. And I, I did watch three episodes. They gave me three episodes, so I watched three episodes, and I really wish I hadn't. There are other things I should have been watching this week, like, you know, Rain. I still haven't seen that. I will watch that for the next podcast. But I have seen three episodes of Mixology, and I watch these so you guys don't have to. This is a group of friends. It's I, I want to say it's about 10 episodes or something that they're doing, maybe 13, because it is a mid-season show. And this group of friends all go out to a bar, and the course of the season is going to tell the story of that one night and those interactions at the bar and uh, and who ends up with whom and it's... It's not funny. There's unfortunate uh, sexism in there and just bro culture in just a really annoying way. When you have people making go forth and like rape and pillage. Oh, but really, but don't actually rape jokes. Wait, does that actually happen? Yes. Yes, it does. Uh, That is a joke. Air quotes. See, the thing is. When you were describing the premise, you were doing so in a derogatory manner. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with having that no, there know, is. short timeline. You think so? It's it's basically the notion of having it be a bottle episode, but for an entire season with a group of people who don't leave the bar. 
it's it's the the hour you know the or the the entire season is going to take place over the course of what an five evening to six so hours not less four five maybe maybe five hours look at the uh how i met your mother season that's set at a wedding and it's a wedding weekend and we were saying that's a terrible idea because there's not enough story there this is x number of hours in these people's lives how much change can this group of six characters undergo in four hours that it feels like this is a sustainable model for your tv show well it's also i mean the Himium comparison isn't really fair, A, because I haven't been watching it, and B, because Himium also throws in flashbacks and flash-forwards and stopping time and fantasy sequences and stuff, which it doesn't sound like this does. This one, it features flashbacks to when these different people were born, um, and it's there's narration, and it's it's just, it's not, it's not good. I like some of the cast, uh, but I, this is, no. I, I, this is too much <laughs> energy having been spent on... Yeah, on 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 an affordable. Like, you have the character, the female character, who why aren't men men? I want a man who will be emotionally abusive to me, basically. Um, that kind of a thing, and and I you can tell that over the course of the season, she's gonna go for the nerdy beta male guy, and it's just come on, guys. So <laughs> that's mixology. We could uh... be watching happy endings, but instead, ABC is trying mixology and you know they have to try new things nobody was watching happy endings on the larger scale of things i understand that but it feels like that is an unfortunate change from last year's schedule at this time let's move on to to the fxx comedies uh dlg uh show is of course the the british show that is very entertaining i have seen some of it but not all of it um what's your relationship with dlg uh, I watched probably the entire first series. I don't think I watched both series. There were two series, yes? That sounds right. Um, I I believe I watched the first series, and I saw the... I, I think I tried to watch the film and didn't really like it. Uh, but certainly some of the interviews, in at least in that first series, are pretty classic. Well, and what this is, this is LG Resurrection, and they're taking basically the the previous episodes and there's new wraparounds and introductions to the different sketches and this is going to be on fxx paired with legit season two and i haven't had the opportunity to see the the new wraparounds the new content but if you like the leg show and you you know or if you have been meaning to check it out this is a good opportunity to do that i would say and you know it's it's a class it's a modern comedy classic as far as i'm concerned so i think you know maybe this now is a good opportunity to check out that show i can think of no bad reason to to check in even if you have seen it before i mean i haven't watched it in god almost a decade yeah. Also on FXX on Wednesday is Legit Season 2. Uh, I checked in with with the pilot of Legit last year, but it didn't really capture my interest, so I didn't watch much more of it. They sent four episodes, and I watched all four. And uh, there's a couple things that they do this season that I think are actually really interesting and very successful. And by the, I wasn't really laughing very much in the first three episodes, but by the fourth episode, I was much more engaged and I actually laughed out loud a few times and ended up really enjoying that half hour. One of the big things that they do this season with legit that I think at least for me makes the show work a lot better is add in elements of awareness from some of the characters, but also the show of how unhappy and sort of broken 
these people are. They're still the same people. They're still the same characters. They're still doing the same stupid things, but with a much more straightforward, yeah, this guy is screwed up. This this lead, we is he a sex addict? Is he he is clearly has some really you know messed up things in his past that have led him to where he is at, and without without trying to make him cuddly, just to make it so that we, the show again, just the show being aware and the characters being aware that they're fucked up goes a long way towards making them more relatable or understandable, and uh, and, and again I. I enjoy DJ Qualls, so, you know, his his character, watching him deal with some, you know, like a friend of, of his dies in one of the episodes, and they have to deal with that, and then you have an episode with a high school reunion, and there's an episode uh, with a character dating a racist who is really great in every other way. What do you do if, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's there's some good stuff in there, and I didn't expect to enjoy it, but I did end up actually really glad that I had invested the hour it took to get to the fourth episode which I liked a lot more than the others. So I did not expect to like legit season two. And I did. Huh? Yeah. Well done. FX. But the big one on Wednesday, as we all know, is the Americans season two, five out of five oh, wigs. Shit. Oh, I'm so mad at you. So you've watched five episodes. I have seen five episodes. Oh my God. I hate you, which, okay. I'm just going to ask you some questions and you're going to answer in a non-spoilery uh, but honest fashion, yeah. which of those five is the best episode? Hmm. I think it is. I think that's very consistent, much like last season. We that's something we really complimented them on last season or the, in their first season that, that it was so consistent. The events of the premiere and the you know some of the things that happened in the premiere set a chain of events into motion. So I would say, I mean, it's hard to separate, for me, it's hard to separate them out, not only because I watched them, you know, sort of back to back, but also because the, the elements that are most interesting about the season are kicked off in the, the premiere. So, and, but then they build on that. So I, I I guess my answer is that it's very consistent and, (laughs) uh, and then, and, uh, rather than full episodes standing out, there are particular moments that stand out as extra powerful or extra uh, interesting and meaningful. But it is very, it's you know, the relationships and all these things are very serialized, much like they were in the first season. So I'll, all right. I'll say that. Uh, I know that you're not an 80s music aficionado, but were there any... Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, right, there's there's some kick-ass montages. Well, there there's some good there's some good '80s music in there, and some of it is uh, montage style or or you know, uh, di- uh, non-diegetic, and some of it is diegetic, and um, and so just that that combination works well. There's some shout-outs to a few, a few bands and uh, that people will enjoy. But no, the '80s the '80s ness is there. Uh, there's there's one ele- one moment of of. Look, we're in the '80s. That's a bit, you know, a bit much. But other, it features a a beverage that no one drinks anymore, and you can probably guess if I say '80s and beverage no one drinks anymore, everybody knows what I'm talking about, probably. But just in case, I'm not going to say it. Uh, that okay. that was a bit like on the nose as far as I was concerned. But other than that, it's very, you know, much like last season. It's it's fun and it's an element, but it still feels natural. All right. Does Annette Mahendra get to use any of her other apparently dozens of skills? Uh, what? 
Oh, did you never see her her list of skills? No. Oh. She's <laughs> the insane. Just... This is good. Yeah, it's just like she's like a oh god, I can't. She she knows like twelve languages and she's like like a bunch of fucking martial arts and like chess oh wow nice and like a bunch of other shit. I didn't. Uh, I, I yeah, I'll have to see that. No, the, she that character gets some interesting things to do, but it's it's very much in line with. Uh, the character from last season. So no, we don't get to see her kicking ass and taking names in in a new way. We just see, you know, a, a logical continuation of of her arc. Do we have a justified style sort of whole raft of new characters, or just a couple? There's just a couple. There's a there's a handful, I guess I would say, uh, some more more significant than others. But the main, you know, this is a well established group of characters and i appreciate that in the second season rather than expanding out they actually feels like they contract in and they really focus on these relationships in a in a more meaningful way and what i will say is that and other people have said this on you know various reviews this is not if you've been looking at american season two reviews this will not be new to you but much like the first season is about how are you a spouse what would you do if this was your job and where where are all the lines this season they focus more on how are you a parent to teenagers while you're doing this so the unit of elizabeth and philip is you know we saw at the end of last season you know she says come home and they're they're very strong um but how how does that affect you know their work affect those immediately surrounding them now that we know how it affects the two central characters and that's what all i'll right. say i just oh, i just i'm still mad at you as well we'll talk on thursday after you've right. seen the premiere after that uh speaking of thursday this thursday the 27th we have uh, of course the startup of season two of vikings on on history which we haven't had a chance to see and then also the the pilot for red road or the red road i should say which is on sundance and that has leaked so we have both seen it so that they, they released that early so uh, what did you think of the pilot to the red road Ah, oh, well, it's no rectify, is it? I mean, the so just for anyone who's not initiated, uh, this is Sundance's second uh, originally owned series uh, after Rectify, and uh, it has Jason Momoa, who people will probably remember from Game of Thrones, and also apparently Stark at Atlantis, which I never watched. Uh, also featuring Julianne Nicholson, who we loved so much on Masters of Sex. Uh, she's also in August Osage County, which I'm not going to see. So I and also the pilot was directed by James Gray, which is a, kind of a huge deal if you've seen Two Lovers or any of his other or any of his feature films. Getting him in to me seemed like a huge get. So I guess my expectations may have been a little bit too high, but uh, it's certainly not bad. Um, you know, it's sort of a it's a kind of a familiar but still kind of different setup of murder in a small, actually very very small sort of rural community with the. With the very clear difference that, you know, you have the, these inter-tribal uh, relationships happening. That aspect is interesting and only only kind of feels like we get the surface scratched of that this week, which is uh, which is neat. Uh, but it's certainly very piloty, isn't it? Yeah, it, it does feel very piloty. Uh, it, and it doesn't grab the same way that, you know, that either Rectify or Top of the Lake or The Returned 
which are the other shows that people know as Sundance shows, whether or not they actually originated with Sundance. Uh, this is not as immediately gripping, but I will say that by the end of the episode, I, I was watching about two thirds of the way through. I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm, if I care that much about catching up with this immediately, or if it's something that I'll just kind of, you know, wait until there's a, a bit of a lull and catch up with it then. But by the end of the episode, I was much more engaged for me. This comes down to, I mean, Julianne Nicholson, I think is really great in this, but I don't like her character. I think, I think she gives a really committed performance, but mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to watch that character. But Jason Momoa, especially by the, when we get to the end, I'm much more engaged in his performance and his character. And I wasn't expecting that given the first part of, of the pilot. Which characters are working for you and which ones aren't? I think Momoa's good. Um, I'm not as convinced on the teenage daughters. It took me a little while to figure out there was two of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was slightly confusing. There's like a reveal shot in the bedroom with the two daughters that was very confusing to me but anyway uh, it's also a product of you know redheads um although it's weird because i actually had seen one of them in a film where she plays a young karen gillen anyway not important um you're right about julian nicholson she's really really good they're gonna need to do some real legwork to sell that character i think and make it because her hysteria is just so pronounced and yeah we know that she's got some reason for trauma but that seems like it kind of a long distant thing for her to be this crazy, like this immediately. So they're either going to need to dial back on that or tell us more. Um, the big black hole for me so far is Martin Henderson, who I don't know if I've seen him before. He feels he's just kind of like strong jawed white guy. He gets cast as indisc- indistinct white guy a lot. Right. In his career, he has gotten that role before. He yes. doesn't. He he may blossom later, but to me, he just doesn't feel distinctive enough to be the one of our three or four leads, which is kind of a problem. Uh, He's been on several things, but uh, I most remember him uh, as as the rather unmemorable Darcy in Bride and Prejudice. Have you seen Bride and Prejudice? I have not. It's delightful. I I highly recommend it. Uh, but you Ex- know, except for it's unmemorable, Darcy. Well, yeah, but you don't watch that for Darcy. You watch it for for Lizzie, uh, the Lizzie okay, character. But um, but yeah, I, that character is not anywhere near compelling enough. I was sort of surprised to find out that there was another lead that I was unaware of, and it was him. Uh, whereas the when people have been talking about this, they've been talking very much about Momoa and Nicholson. And so when I started watching, I was like, oh, they're not the only main characters? I was a little mm-hmm. surprised. Yes. Uh, it's nice to see Tamara Tooney. I haven't seen her since, what, was it Law & Order Original Flavor? One of them, yeah. Uh, she's good. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's some elements that are interesting, some bits of direction that are that are good, some striking visuals here and there. And I do think that it ends better than it starts. And, I, you know, I, I I'm hopeful that now that they've gotten sort of all the there's some really clunky dialogue of let's establish who all these characters are and how they know each other they get it out of the way reasonably quickly but it's still annoying Uh, and you do have dumb teenagers behaving badly which is one of my least favorite tropes ever Uh, hopefully now that they've got all that out of the way there's only five episodes left in the season after that so they've got to work hard to turn that chip around pretty quickly I have some confidence they can do that based on the people involved, but you know, it's, 
it's best not to think that way usually. So I would say temper the Sundance expectations that people may have going into it. Just approach it as another show, like another kind of crime mystery show, and uh, and and do and then again for me. I don't like the character and I'm not very interested in the character, but it was nice for me to get to see Julianne Nicholson get something to do because she rarely gets anything to do when she's cast. So I was enjoying that element on Friday. Of course, Hannibal season two starts and I haven't seen it. I don't have access (sighs) to Hannibal season two. Ah, if only Uh, good, good. I'm so glad you don't have it. I know that's mean. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, and Monday on the 3rd, of course, of March, uh, Those Who Kill starts up on A&E. This is a remake of a Danish series, and I've seen, I haven't gotten a chance to actually see all of it. Uh, I will hopefully be tweeting about that later this week, but the bit of it I have seen is, of course, it stars Chloe Sevigny and some other actors people will recognize, but it's, I'm intrigued by the opening of the, of the pilot. It's, it has some really nice cinematic moments, but so the but after... That, an opening sequence that is very noir, very interesting, very lovely to look at with some with a nice performance from Seven Yi. Uh, the dialogue is very piloty uh, after that. So it's kind of, oh, um, you know, yeah, we'll talk about that next week on the podcast. Yes. Oh, God. Next week is going to be a fucking bloodbath. So what are you more excited? Well, I, I sh- actually, I don't need to ask that. I know you're more excited for American season two or Hannibal season two. Yeah, I would go Americans, then Hannibal, and then whatever else is happening. <laughs> well, we'll talk all about, about all of these different uh, premieres that you have not yet had a chance to see next week on the podcast. But for now, we'll take a break and come back with our week in TV. Roll on, John. Don't you roll so slow. How you gonna roll? are combining comedies dramas reality everything all together because due to the olympics almost nothing aired this week until sunday when they when they finished up so first i thought i would mention at the top of the the segment that the walking dead of course claimed aired this week i enjoyed the episode we talked a bunch about it on the walking dead podcast if you want to hear more about my thoughts on andre anthony and on uh cudlets being awesome you can listen Cudlets. you can listen to the sound of walking dead podcast i also watched the amazing race premiere which you haven't gotten a chance to to see yet have you signed up for the pool this time no, I for some reason I'm always a week behind. I'll get there. Yeah, this was uh, called Back in the Saddle, which may imply, if you're not aware, this is a All Stars edition of of the Amazing Race. So it's a bunch of teams that have already raced before. Most notably, my pick is the Cowboys, and uh, they have a strong showing this week, and I always enjoy them. I also am glad to see. Flight Time and Big Easy are back. Mark and Bopper are back-ish. 
which I won't say more about that until you've had a chance to watch the episode. So we will talk about that next week, I would imagine. But I, I think that situation is handled well. And I was I was pleasantly surprised by that, you know, considering if it couldn't be what we were hoping it would be with that team, at least it's, you know, I liked what happened with that. Uh, the, the team that is gone is one that I uh, previously had picked for another season. So I was glad to not have chosen them this time. I guess as, as long as it's interesting and entertaining, I will be willing to give the country girls and the YouTubers another shot. They seem more aware of their personas from last time. So maybe that will affect their behavior. Is it, is it, are you telling me the YouTubers toned it down? They, well, I mean, it's always hard to know if they toned it down or if they just aren't featured as much in the editing. You don't really know, but, uh, but I think it's a good mix of people though. I would have liked, you know, We've talked about this before. We want the Rockers back. There are some other teams that we would have preferred to see. I have uh, more hopes for for Margie and Luke this season. You know, there's there's some good teams there. I wonder if they maybe didn't invite the Metal Dudes back because of their willingness to talk about the behind the scenes stuff. Maybe that's just me. No, I, I I think they already had done the casting for for the All Star season before that came out. That's my guess. Um, so I, I don't know. I, but I would really like, I mean, the guy had two broken legs and was still competing. So I think, you know, give him another yeah, shot, right? Definitely. Well, there's always the next All-Star season. Well, I, I liked this uh, premiere that I thought it was fun. I'm in, I'm tied for third in the pool right now, along with everybody else, because we all got zero points. Woo! We have a couple people with a couple points, but basically, if you haven't joined the Amazing Race pool yet and you're interested, send me an email, theteleverse at gmail.com, and I will invite you, and you can join in on the, the quest to win Nomi, who will hopefully be selected and sent to previous season winner Dan because there aren't any gnomes available for sale right now at my local stores. But they're the Nomi, the traveling Televerse uh, gnome, is the prize along with an Amazon gift card. So if you want to get in on the action, you are not behind all but two of the people right now. So it's there's plenty of time to join in. Uh, let's move on to the, the next show, though, because you watched the About a Boy pilot. I did. Um, it's not good. It's just, I'm just going to go out and say that it's not, like, it's not even disappointing. It's just not good. It's not badly made or acted or uh, conceived. But you know what? I, I Maybe it's just because I noticed his name uh, on the directed by, but this felt way more like a John Favreau product than a Jason Kadams product. Uh, actually, if it weren't for, I would have never guessed Kadams' involvement had I not seen it again, listed in the credits and sort of announced beforehand and knew about his predilection for remaking things in his own uh, sad face image. The, I mean, everything on paper about it sounds good. I like the cast, but just it's so broad and I never, ever in my life, ever, 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 ever needed to see another show that ends with the talent show and, oh, we have to save the kid so he doesn't get embarrassed. And Al Madrigal just himself seems embarrassed throughout, and I felt embarrassed for him. <laughs> well, I liked the pilot. Uh, and I guess, you know, it helps that I know the movie. I haven't read the book, but I know the movie. And so when they go to rush off to the talent show, I was like, oh, yep, they're basically just, they're doing the movie in, in 20 one, minutes. In 20 minutes. So I wasn't surprised or, 
you know, annoyed by that because I was like, oh, they're, they're they're just doing the movie. It makes sense. And they're just going to kind of wash, rinse, repeat, and which is what I was expecting. So maybe this is a difference of expectations as well. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I specifically like methodically avoid Nick Hornby and all Nick Hornby related things whenever I can. High fidelity is okay, but outside of that, highly dangerous. I could see them settling into a more casual rhythm with the same characters that works better, but this was just so heightened and broad and, and I'm sorry, I know you, you thought that the the kid worked better here than in the other pilot you were talking about, but he just did not feel like a human being to me. <laughs> they, they, uh, tone him down in the, the second episode. So, uh, I, I would imagine you're not going to watch more, but uh, but that is something that does he does feel more natural in the the second episode. So maybe that's okay. what I was keying into. But yeah, I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, I, I could I could see it working, especially if Kadem's you know sort of dips his hand a little bit more in there. But you know he's already running Parenthood, so I can't imagine him being that involved. Yeah, it is. It's very it's very um this is very piloty, and the second episode is very piloty, and the third episode is very piloty. So if you didn't like this... Well, <laughs> is it's, it just a piloty show, maybe? Well, it's, it's that it's it's a very network sitcom. So it's a lot of wash, rinse, repeat with a lot of similar character beats, and it's just if if you enjoy the characters, it'll work for you, and if you don't, it's not. This is a broad show. So I'm guessing that you're not going to like the next couple of episodes either. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll wait a while. Instead, uh, more up your alley is Broad City, and this week uh, the episode is Fattest Asses. I watched this one after uh, saying it would last week. Of course, Rick and Morty, we were planning to talk about that, but they, they're on hiatus for a while right now, so we won't be talking about that until it comes back. But uh, but I enjoyed this one, and I actually laughed out loud a couple times. Woo! So, well done. Yeah, I was worried about that, because actually this was probably my least favorite episode since the first I absolutely did laugh out loud at that fantastic gag with the cheese balls yeah. and cruelty. Oh, that was that was maybe the hardest I laughed all week. But outside of that, I didn't think it was the most inspired episode. I thought it was really hurt by the absence of Hannibal Buress. Uh Even though I did like Matt Jones and Jason Mensukas, um, they were, you know, admirably sleazy. And I did like their, their, uh, their tagline about three out of 12 ain't bad, but uh, beyond that, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is what the show looks lo- looks like without Hannibal, and it doesn't work quite as well. I would agree with most of that, uh, though. I did enjoy I enjoyed the characters more than I expected, um, and I, I think I'm settling into the rhythm of the show more and the personalities of the show more. So I am just sort of enjoying my time with these characters more, and uh, I also I just I loved the the eight flights of stairs in those ridiculous i think they would have been you know not much happier if they were wearing flats just still like the notion of having to go up eight flights of stairs uh but then when you add in those ridiculous heels that they're wearing i i loved at the end the the tag at the end with the elevator <laughs> they they were appropriately angry that because mm-hmm. uh, you know, going up eight flights of stairs in heels is bad going down eight flights of stairs in heels might be worse. So, uh, so yeah, that I'll, was, yes, that was, I'll wonderful. take your word for it. I didn't, and I didn't laugh, but I will give them a shout out for that Arc de Triomphe joke at the end. <laughs> that clearly some thought went into that. Yeah. So I, I did enjoy broad city this week, but I have a feeling you probably both enjoyed Archer a bit more southbound and down. What did you think? Ah, uh, did we though? This was probably my least favorite of the five they've had so far, if only because it leaned a little bit too heavily on the coke and sex jokes and a little bit less on the 
I mean, th there is a funny conversation about what is irony versus what is satire and ending with the ending with the option. Nobody really knows. Uh, that stuff was great. And a couple of callbacks to old gags were great. But I don't know the the whole manic pace of the episode combined with the ex even more lowbrow humor than usual made it feel like kind of a low light to me. Oh, how's this? Uh, how's this arc and the season working for you at this point? Um, I mean, it's I admire that it's uh, totally freewheeling. I mean, I I complained last week that they'd spent too much time in the mansion. This week, they completely were not in the mansion at all, uh, except for a brief gag at the start. They were just on the road to Austin. So, I mean, I got what I asked for. So, I guess I can't complain in that sense. I'm I am wondering if uh if they're going to start building stakes at some point or if it's just going to be one sort of silly set of gags after another either is fine but i think i would prefer a little bit a little bit more meat on the bones well i look forward to you know next week being able to talk about episodes that you know some new stuff and you know getting you know some fresh episodes that that were not with the dvd when they sent it out so actually getting a chance to dive back in with the season it's been a while since i watched these uh early episodes when they sent them out in in January, so that'll be that'll be fun for next week. Uh, you also watched Adventure Time this week, Betty. I did. I mean, I always watch Adventure Time, but I just don't always talk about it. Uh, this was interesting because it was uh, actually uh, you should see it at some point because it's relevant to to one of the two episodes that you have seen, and uh, features Lena Dunham in what I assume will be a recurring, actually pretty much will have to be a recurring role. What's interesting is it seems like they're building towards, uh, this was episode 48 of the season, and there are three regular episodes left and then a half hour special, and it kind of feels like they're building towards something, which it rarely ever feels like that on, on Adventure Time. Uh, so that's interesting. I'll be curious to see if that's the case. Just the whole idea of half hour Adventure Time is making me happy inside. But uh, Lena Dunham was actually really great. It kind of seemed like stunt casting when I heard about it, but she's a really great choice for the character who is uh, mythologically important. Apparently she's been referenced before, but I missed that at some point. You know, I missed that in one of the other 150 episodes of Adventure Time. Anyway, um, it was a get from point A to point B plot wise episode, which I don't think I've ever seen Adventure Time do, which is slightly disconcerting, but it did it in a very fast and funny way. So I can't really complain. Well, that sounds like that'll be fun to catch up with eventually. But let's move on to, you know, Lena Dunham's main show, Girls, this week, uh, Incidentals. And Adam is in a Broadway show. And Hannah starts out being terrible by taking a call when she's talking to Patty Lapone. I can't be the only person who was, like, offended to my core being that she would do that. But, of course, she would. But then, you know, by the end of the episode, she's awesome again. So I, I, I think uh, there's there's a lot of fun... Um, uh, there's a lot of fun Hannah and Adam content this week, as well as I'm sure we'll talk about the other the other characters. But uh, what did you think of Incidentals? And are you looking forward to Adam on Broadway? Okay. Well, I mean, for starters, let's not forget that, yes, she did take a call while talking to Patti Lapone, but she was taking a call while talking to Patti Lapone about their advertorial content. Yeah, but still. <laughs> Patti Lapone gave her five minutes and she took a call. Yeah, it was important, though, and it was only, like, 15 seconds. No, 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 no. Okay, no. well, let's not forget this is in the same episode where Jessa breaks into her place of work and steals money to buy drugs with. Yes, that is true. Oh, so let's put it all in damn context. Damn it, Jessa. Ah, oh, she was doing so well. I was actually more upset with, with Richard E. Grant, because I liked his character so much when he first appeared, and he's mm -hmm. so clearly turned out to be a shitheel. 
Well, I mean, it was obvious in that first episode that he was in, that he was a shithole, but that the earlier uh, scenes with him that seemed really much more compelling and interesting were a romanticized version. You know, that, that felt very much like that was Jess's perspective on him until, you know, it was taken away by the end of the episode. Yeah. Or it was him deliberately being nicer so that he could get into her pants. Yeah, well, there's that that option as well. Um, I, I really enjoyed having Richard E. Grant back, but I think I most enjoyed his scene with Shoshana. That was just delightful. <laughs> the yes, assumption yes, that she's on coke. <laughs> yes, that was great. Uh, I mean, it wasn't the most substantial episode, uh, certainly, and it certainly wasn't as sort of fun a departure as last week, but I did really like it. I mean, Ray, as always, to me, stole the episode uh by doing what any sane person would do i think i really liked hannah's reaction to having a paycheck (laughs) this is more than my rent (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've had that moment before and i'm sure i got paid a lot less than she did (laughs) so it'll be interesting to see you know how hannah settles into having a job that actually pays her money and uh you know that that pays her enough that she can live like a normal more normal person as opposed to constantly paycheck to paycheck and uh maybe she'll even stop mooching off her parents that'd be crazy talk but you know maybe yeah it would be uh i i really loved marnie's reaction to the breakup although the scenes with her and that actor were really hard to watch not on purpose but just her getting moony eyed over some dumb dude all over again was just like oh marnie yep. come on we yep. keep wanting that, you know, that's the whole story of girls. We keep wanting you to change and you can't. But I, I do wonder, it feels like the wheels are just going to totally come off in a horrible and painful fashion in probably two to three weeks. And I'm curious to see if and how that happens. And I mean with everyone. <laughs> well, I, I again, I like that we see Hannah and Adam as very stable. And I, I thought that scene of them at the end was just lovely. I like, and again, I like that it seems like they're making Adam a good actor. So when he like goes into his thing at the end, I was completely surprised and I don't know why I was, I shouldn't have been. <laughs> he just got cast in a Broadway show, so he should be a pretty damn good actor. Um, but I, you know, again, Hannah is always so self-involved as I mentioned <laughs> earlier in this review, but I like how stable and, understanding the the two are together i like how really good they are together so i'm hoping that with chessa off the wagon and with marnie being marnie uh i really am hoping we're gonna at least get one or two of the core group having positive life experiences at any given time that would be nice uh or at least it would be a nice change of pace as far as uh, adam goes i mean casting adam driver as a really good actor I think was probably a good move because he's a really good actor. <laughs> Very true. Uh, let's move on to looking, looking in the mirror and Dom is turning 40. What did you think? Uh, Dom, when are we going to get our Dom episode? We've already had a Patrick episode. It was lovely, but now I'm back to disliking Patrick again. And I mean, <laughs> I think, but I think everybody is. I think, I think he's fine. I mean, it felt very natural for the character this week. And I think if he just was all of a sudden a different person, I wouldn't really buy it. Uh, so so this felt very much in keeping with what we had seen before, but also in keeping with who we saw last week. So I think, you know, when he's with Richie, he's not as much of a dick 
And uh, then when, when he's around these other people that he chose because he shares many elements, you know, positive but also negative traits with them, then he sort of reverts to being a slightly different person. And it would be interesting to see if he is able to grow and change and, you know, be a little less of a dick. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's that's a universal idea. The you know when you're with someone, you know you are one entity, like you are you are the couple. Mm-hmm. And then when you get out of that sort of ecosystem, things can get kind of dicey. Uh, I don't. That's clearly not clearly not just a gay thing. Uh, so I thought that was reasonably well handled. Although they really did make him quite odious in ways that I'm not entirely sure they had to. Uh, Dom is probably still my favorite character. Uh, his scenes with Scott Bakula were great. I'm not big on Augustine right now. I really am not interested in this whole CJ art project storyline. Yeah, and... I agree. I agree. I, I I like the actor playing Augustine, but uh, not interested in his whole infatuation with CJ and that whole triangle. I agree. It's not interesting. Well, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere interesting. Um, I think the the Patrick stuff to me feels like it's going somewhere interesting, or at least it has the potential to do that. Whereas the Augustine stuff just feels like, yeah, he's okay. So he wants to sleep with CJ. We got that, you know, two episodes ago. What's what's new? What's going on? With you know, there's there's nothing. It doesn't feel like there's anything interesting there. Well, it's a little bit more than that. I mean, there's the whole idea that he's restless in his professional life and he's not sure about settling into a monogamous, you know, what could be a too safe monogamous relationship. Like all that stuff makes sense, but I agree that it doesn't seem to have a whole lot of direction. It just seems to keep evoking the same beats over and over. Yeah. So we'll see what, what happens with that next. I liked, again, I enjoyed Doris, but she gets one line, two lines of dialogue this week. They got to give Doris more to do. Um, And we'll see what happens next with the Bacula character. I did really, you know, I did really like that pairing and the, you know, them, keeping things you know less involved at least for now than we may have expected that was that was nice and um i i don't i do i am very curious about peri peri chicken i feel like i'm there's no way anybody <laughs> likes it as much as as dom does but now i'm i'm vaguely curious and that's more than i was before i cannot testify to the goodness of peri peri chicken i do know that portuguese chicken was a really big deal back in montreal and i somehow never tried it i'm sorry montrealers uh, but listeners, feel free to weigh in, even if you don't watch Looking, which apparently none of you do. None of you do. Uh, our final show of this week in TV is True Detective Haunted Houses. We get Michelle Monaghan as a as a interviewee this week, and yet they still give her so little to do that is of interest. Uh, obviously, she gets she's in more scenes, but it still feels very much the scorned wife of the cop role. I find it fascinating how last week True Detective managed to lean into all the things that I like about it and, you know, give us a really solid hour of TV that was creepy and twisty and atmospheric and compelling and not infuriating. And then this week we get almost nothing that I like about it and everything that bugs me about it. Uh, I do think this was uh, Monaghan's showcase week. I think it's the best week she's going to get because I feel like we've learned everything there is at least up until the 2002 segment that we're going to learn. And I don't think there's going to be a whole lot else considering they've only got two episodes to wrap it up. I it had probably my least favorite sequence of the show so far, which is um, Cole's interview with Tuttle 
really, 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 really did not like that sequence and the mustache twirling and the ending with the closing double doors. Oof. Was that just me? That was just you. I was fine with it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, like we talked about last week, that's where it seemed like it was going. Uh, I do think that there are interesting things happening in this episode, in this time frame that we're seeing, but the interesting character to get the point of view from would have been uh, Rust. And because he's no longer being interviewed, we're no longer seeing his memories or uh, of that time. So I am very what well, curious, before Michelle Monaghan came over, what was McConaughey doing? And, you know, what was, like, that is interesting to me. What get, got him to the point where he was so frustrated that he was, you know, was leaving it just would leave the job. That's of interest to me. Uh, Woody Harrelson's affair creep is creepy and effectively creepy, and they do. I think they do a good job of laying out some of his clear uh, issues as a terrible father with that you know relationship. But that's not of interest to me. And you know, if if we had just laid out at the beginning of the, like before the show even set, started and said there are two partners, there there are. Uh, very different and the one has a strained relationship with his wife eventually something happened and they broke uh the 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 one cop quit they had a huge falling out the other cop his wife uh left him what happened between these two cops we all would have guessed this right yeah i mean uh i mean what what i find confusing about what you just said though is that I feel like we know everything that happened with Rust. You know, he had he was starting to get these really intense cases, like the one with the with the woman we saw in what was clearly the best scene of the of mm. the episode. You should probably just kill yourself. Uh, that was great. Uh, you know, he's been getting a lot of intense cases, and he's also getting pushback on the idea of solving what he thought was a closed case. Uh, you know, I I think that that was probably enough to push him over. I don't know that we're going to see that there was more than that. Okay, well, if that's the case, then, I mean, I guess I, guess I just I didn't feel like I had a sense of that. Because all of a sudden, he's he's in a relationship with Elizabeth Reeser, and he's stable, and he's happy, and then now she's gone, and we don't know why or what happened or what instigated that. We got all, like, two lines of dialogue with her last week that were very interesting and made them seem like they were really interesting fit as a couple. Um, and then... He's living alone by himself in a like, barely furnished apartment when it had been more furnished before when she was there. And I just feel like there was a progression that I missed. I mean, we already they may decide to dramatize this later, but we already heard from him that he basically drove her out, which we have no reason to think that that's not what happened. I um, guess. I don't know. I still feel like that is I feel like that is the more interesting part of the story than what we saw here as well yeah. performed as it was. And I also have to give significant props to the the makeup department because the aging makeup on Michelle Monaghan I thought was really great. Yeah, it was subtle, but it's certainly not overdone. And yeah. uh, I, I want to give her props specifically for the scene when when Harrelson comes home and eats some noodles and she just sits there and just simmers <laughs> it's really that was i thought that was the best scene she's gotten for probably the whole show yeah i will say though when we got to the end and we had modern day uh rust and and marty i did get a little bit of uh of goosebumps it felt like it felt like ah oh, finally they've not been on screen i'm like 
you just watched them on screen together this episode, but it still yeah. felt like it was like this long awaited reunion. And that's, that's an achievement of, uh, of pacing and editing and performance direction yep. as well. Of course. I agree when it's all over. Am I going to wish it had been maybe seven episodes and cut out some of the extraneous stuff I didn't like? Probably not. But uh, I, I agree that that was an accomplishment that I will. I will also say though, that they're going to really, need to step up to their A-game for these last two episodes for it to really, I think, measure up to the hype that other people and even sometimes me have thrown at it from time to time. Well, and also, I, I got to get your thoughts on this again because we talked about it last week, and this will be my last, last question. I really feel like, given what we see this week and uh, what they've been doing, I feel like they, they are setting the show up where it needs an answer. Doesn't it feel like you know there needs to be an answer, or else what are what are these two cops going to do for these last two episodes? I mean, they. I feel like the best case scenario at this point. I I do agree that they're probably going to answer it. They could Chinatown it. Yeah, but there's still an answer in Chinatown. Yeah, there is, but there's no resolution really. Yeah, well, but I mean, yeah, and, and like I, we talked about earlier, I don't need there to be everything tied up in a little bow, but I'm just more looking at the pacing of it. We, we've we been spent six episodes of build to these two cops with all this baggage and history finally teaming back up, getting the gang back together. You don't get the gang back together to have them sit down and have a beer and then not do anything. No, they're not going to not do anything. That's very obvious. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I would prefer not to speculate too much. I, I do think that I was reading um, Pizzolatto's made a lot of interesting comments about the show and about future seasons. First of all, he's he he has said that he doesn't consider them anti-heroes. He, consider, he considers them straight up heroes, mm-hmm. which is an interesting statement, especially given some things that we saw this week with Marty. But um, uh, that may say more than I think it does about Pizzolatto's mindset. Uh, he's also said that next season he wants to go uh, a lot stranger which kind of implies that they're probably not going to go as strange as I would like this season. Mm-hmm. Well, I also appreciated a tweet that I, I saw that he sent out. Somebody said, some, you know, in response to this you know, discussion that has been going on around the show of, yeah, there are these two really interesting essential characters. It's too bad the show does not seem interested in any of the women at all. Uh, and, and, he's, and his response to that was, that's what happens when you have you're only because this is something that you guys talked about on the San Jose True Detective podcast last week when you were on it. Depaya mentioned that they're not interested in any of the other characters, so none of the women and none of the other men either. Just these two central characters, and so Pizzolatto tweeted out something about how that's what happens when you have two central point of view characters and they're both men next season. Dot dot dot. So that dot, implies, dot, dot. you know, he's looking to, you know, he's aware of that discrepancy and that hopefully we'll at least get one central, interesting and explored female character next season. Yeah, I would not be surprised at all if they promoted Michelle Monaghan to detective next season. Yeah. Because uh, she has been great. Yeah. Well, what wins your week in TV? Um, I, it was honestly not a great week. Uh, most of what I really loved last week even didn't show up in the same way this week. Uh, I will... Ah... Uh... Uh, I'll probably give it to girls, I guess. And uh, I would give it to the Americans, but that seems like cheating. That uh, is cheating. Come on. <laughs> I liked. I actually liked The Walking Dead quite a bit. I had a lot of fun with Amazing Race. 
Um, but I'm I'm gonna give it to Girls Affected Me More, but I had more fun watching Looking. So I you gave it to Girls, so I'll give it to Looking. And I I know this is a very uh, middle class uh, white girl in the center of the country kind of thing to say. But I, I consistently, even though I know the 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 gay critics that I talk to about this show, they're not always very ple- happy with the representations of 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 homosexuality and of of gay couples and everything. On looking, um, they don't always appreciate that element to the show. For me, I never see gay couples just being normal couples on TV because there's that's just not something that is not on the networks and most shows are not interested in exploring the obvious ex- uh, exclusion to that would be or or exception to that would be willow and tara on buffy at least for the tv i have seen so for me to just watch people have the are we boyfriends discussion on looking this week was just wonderful because that is something that i never get to see and uh, it feels like it's a really positive step forward for that to just be a normal part of an episode how many how many TV TV shows have you seen where they have the are we boyfriend girlfriend conversation? Uh, you mean in general? Yeah, just it happens all the time. Oh, in every single show ever. Yeah, and and so the fact that I had never seen the are we officially dating with a same sex couple, and the fact that I noticed that and was actually got to be you know got to enjoy that moment, uh, was was you know a very interesting thing for me this week in TV. So I will I will give it to looking. All right. Before we go to our informed opinion segment, a few show notes. Our outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find a post up at soundonsite.org for this episode where you can leave us a comment. Let us know what you thought of this week's TV. Uh, it was a bit scarce, but, you know, let us know what you thought and also what maybe what shows you're most looking forward to starting up this week and next week. You can also, of course, uh, like us on Facebook to follow the goings-on at Sound Insight TV. You can find us in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. You can li- uh, give us a rating or review you there and let us know what you think of the show you can also email us at televerse at gmail.com and of course we're both up on twitter i am at the televerse and you are uh, at sucker howl and simon what's our question of the week in the spirit of heroes reborn uh, i would like to know is there anything that you would just personally for yourself like to see revived either to make fun of or just to enjoy that you just don't think anyone else would have any interest in Ooh, intriguing and because it had to be now, so the actors would be X number of years older and the creatives as well. And now it doesn't need to be logical. Doesn't need to be logical? Nah. That no one else would like to see. V- to viewership of one. Viewership of one. I'll have to think about that. Because nothing's springing to mind because most of the shows that I would say for that all have cult followings. You know what? I, I, uh, I think that actually uh, I would have liked... Uh, I really like Cupid, the original series, despite the pivotness of everything. And uh, I would uh, I would have liked to see more Cupid back with that cast at that age in that time. I, as opposed to the remake, I was not impressed with the remake, even though it was the same creative team. So I would say that one or uh, the other one is uh, Profit, which is this, you know, really interesting six episode eight episode kind of show with adrian pazdar that one of these days somebody will want to talk about on the dvd shelf i hope but uh yeah those are the two that that come to mind for me what about you 
Uh, just for the sheer lunacy, and if it existed, if if it were made into a new series again, I could theoretically make you watch it. Would just which would just be the funniest shit ever. Uh, I w- I would revive Xavier Renegade Angel, uh, which is easily the most demented series I have ever watched. <laughs> Interesting, and that 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 maybe next uh, the, this August when we have our next Make You Watchathon. Oh no no no! I I wouldn't do that to you. Oh, Not on purpose. Okay, but I'm just saying if if serendipitously it could happen. Well, and the other one that's obvious, but I I would like to think it wouldn't be a viewership of one is Lone Star. It really would be a viewership. Well, a viewership of like every TV critic ever and no one else. And no one else. But uh, Wolk. Wolk. Oh, well. Well, with that, we will take a break and listen to some music and come back with Steph and Rob to talk depictions of doctors and medicine on TV. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Dr. Kelso. I'm delighted that you came. So the doctors say you fainted and you don't know what's to blame. Well, put your mind at ease. There's no ill we can't outsmart on behalf of all who work here. Welcome to Sacred Heart. Our facilities are excellent. You couldn't ask for more. As long as you avoid the bathrooms on the second floor. This is Dr. Cox. I'll be giving him your chart. And that's Dr. Kelso, the kiss-ass of Sacred Heart. Say you burned your hand real bad, we'll fix you up with gauze. Perhaps you need your fat sucked out, or want a smaller schnoz. Hey! Caught an STD from some tasty little part. We swear we won't judge you here at Sacred, here at Sacred, here at Sacred Back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week, it's a podcast episode ending in zero, so that means it's time for another Informed Opinions. And this week, very excited. We're trying something new. We have two guests here to help us talk about medicine and doctors and medical professionals on television. Uh, We have both Rob and Steph. Rob and Steph, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, hello. Nice to be on. You know, we have a Canadian, we have uh, we have a couple of Chicagoans, and we have a Portlander. So hopefully, we'll get a nice, you know, bi-coastal sort of approach to to some of these these different elements. And uh, and Simon, I do look forward to hearing from you uh, the differences if if you know of them between Canadian and American doctors. Oh, we're looking at three different nations right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's uh, let's start. I guess let's start with uh, Steph. Why don't you let our listeners know what your background is in medicine? Uh, yeah, so I'm actually um, in a, a fourth year emergency medicine resident. So I'm in my last year of training before I become like official doctor with my license and everything. Um, practicing on my own. So um, I'm actually training at Cook County Hospital, which, um, interestingly enough, is the hospital that the show ER was based off of. Um, So what I do in real life is essentially um, kind of like the, the character of Noah Wiley. Um, I'm a resident in training. I graduated from med school and uh, I kind of just work in the ER and learn from the uh, attendings or the docs like um, uh, George Clooney's character and Anthony Edwards. 
um, who I've worked for a really long time. So yeah, that's uh, that's essentially my life. And um, the show ER was actually based on um, our hospital, although in the older one, it's actually moved to a newer building now. Okay, very interesting, and I'll, we'll dive in with some of that. And I love that, by the way, that you call them by the actors' names because I don't—I remember Mark Green, but I don't remember any of the other character names <laughs> at all. So that's how I will be referring to them. Uh, Rob, how about you? What is your experience in the medical field? So uh, I am in my infectious disease fellowship up in Portland. I finished internal medicine residency, and so technically I could be practicing somewhere, but I decided to specialize and go into infectious disease. I am up at OHSU in Portland. Um, I suppose I don't really know that many characters who are infectious disease specialists. I believe House is technically an infectious disease doctor, although I would not make any kind of comparison between House and real-life medicine. <laughs> we just happen to have the same specialty. See, in my brain, though, that that's what I'm like. I'm, like, <laughs> we're gonna, I'm gonna have Steph and, and Rob on, and it's gonna be awesome because we'll have fill in the blank ER or Grey's Anatomy person and we'll have house and that's you know the the real life equivalent of you know what maybe that feels like so uh so I guess I don't know where we want to start in but uh how about what kind of medical shows have you guys seen or what what kind of depictions are the ones that stick in your memory as doctors um so I've uh watched a little bit of all of them um I uh watched about halfway through all of ER because there are so many episodes, uh, Scrubs. And when I was in med school, I actually really was addicted to Grey's Anatomy. Um, so I watched a lot of those shows. And what, uh, which are the ones that, of, of those, because I, I go to, I haven't seen very much ER, but I go to Grey's Anatomy because that, when that show is good, it's so good. And <laughs> when it's not, I still watched it for a couple years, including Ghosts, Ghost Denny and all. Uh, but another big one for me was, is Scrubs. And I thought it was interesting because when I was talking with both of you, you both mentioned Scrubs. I know, I'm sure, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Rob, as well. But that's something that I've heard from a lot of different people in the medical uh, field that actually Scrubs is surprisingly uh, relevant to their experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think that we go off uh, as frequently on uh, inner monologues and <laughs> hallucinations. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, I think the, the goofiness um, and how silly uh, the doctors are, um, I, I think that that's very accurate. <laughs> that may not be so reassuring. But um, I, I think that my life is kind of like a a combination between ER uh, and scrubs. Rob, how about you? Yeah, I, I would say, um, so before I went to medical school, I did watch some house uh, and I was very much into it. And I love the, the thought process that went into house. But then after you practice medicine a little while, um, you realize that's not the way the medical world works. And surprisingly <laughs> enough, the medical world works a lot closer to scrubs. Um, but each stage in our medical education um, corresponds to a little bit different uh, medical show, I suppose. And Scrubs is really a pretty good portrayal of what residency is like, because residency is kind of like a mix of high school and medicine. So you've got people who are adults technically, but also <laughs> are have kind of a high school mentality where they're in the same stage of their life with a whole group of other people trying to get through the same problems. That, that sounds a lot like Grey's Anatomy as well. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but then when you get, when you get outside of that, when you get into practicing doctors who are, uh, have a wide swath of ages and experiences, um, I think it, deviates more from the scrubs world there's not i mean it's not as everybody is a lot more independent and uh and and the people tend to 
joke around a little bit less and respect each other a little bit more. Um, but residency is definitely a different experience. That's interesting, because of course, then that just—I mean—that just does make me think immediately of um, the Grey's Anatomy pilot, where because they bring in the main cast and it's—they're all starting their their residency, I think, or maybe internship, uh, or maybe it's residency. I don't quite remember, but it's—it is very much that sort of freshman class feel. So that's interesting to yeah. hear that there's actually, you know, there's truth in that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, the first year, uh, it's it really is like that in, in residency. You know, you're like super gung-ho and like really excited to finally be a doctor after so many years of training. Um, but I think that uh, a lot of ways we still... Um, act kind of immature, even though, you know, we're, we're doctors, because I think a lot of people have spent a lot of time, um, you know, with their heads in the books. And so you kind of have this like stunted growth or stunted development. And so people do have that mentality that they're kind of still in high school, you know? Well, I mean, it makes sense. You get a bunch of type A's in the same place and you're going to have, uh, some, some interesting conversations, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> This might totally derail the conversation, but I had to ask, uh, Rob, you mentioned that you don't see necessarily a lot of infectious disease doctors on TV, but lately that hasn't been so much the case, although it, it may be coming up in shows you don't watch. Like, for instance, uh, there seems to be at least uh, 70 series now that take place in and around uh, the Center for Disease Control or mm. reference them or make them a, a major stop at some point on their uh, on their sort of quest. The, the newest one would be Helix, which is all about, of course, an infectious disease. I mean, do you, do you, is there any specific reason you think that this that this is uh, sort of cropping up more now? Um, I'm not sure. The last time I've seen the CDC involved in a really accurate way was in the movie Contagion. Um, and the the reason that the CDC always is tough to pin down exactly what they do is it's because it's a lot of investigation of outbreaks and asking questions and, and figuring out connections between things that is hard to make exciting. Um, and emotional because CDC people when they're working are usually not as emotional about things. It's more of a, a science, the science of public health. And whereas then when you've got, if you can make the setting emotional, like they did in Contagion, then it can make for an entertaining situation. But a lot of times the characters themselves are so, they've so become so used to this idea of investigating an outbreak that if it stops becoming a, an emotional issue. Um, whereas a lot of I've noticed that in, in general medicine, a lot of doctors are portrayed as having a lot of emotional involvement into everything that happens, um, which which also is, is tough because it doesn't it doesn't always happen that way. A lot of times you are not emotionally involved uh, once you're on that eighth or ninth hour. You just are doing a job. <laughs> but <laughs> that's interesting because you would think that, you know, people involved with disease control theoretically could have a lot more uh a lot more immediate responsibility than, you know, a doctor who's operating on one person. Yeah. I, uh, no, I haven't seen that. Unfortunately, I haven't seen the show and it might be a very good presentation of what it's like to uh, work at the CDC, but the CDC, <laughs> it's, it isn't. It, it no, isn't. I almost guarantee you it isn't. Yeah. Unless, unless, uh, um, unless uh, contagion control doctors are the world's dumbest people. Um, yeah. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but no, but that's interesting that you mentioned that because with the you know we obviously I immediately think of The Walking Dead. They stop by the CDC. Any of these different like plague kind of outbreak zombie kind of shows. Well, they, they don't just stop mention. by the CDC. They they, they, they do some the stuff. They, they blow up the CDC. <laughs> you know, like you do. But yeah, that is there. Maybe and I would cut. I would connect it in maybe with that the 
you know, zombies are big right now kind of idea. So maybe that is part of it. But I think that's, you know, that proximity to casualties all the time when you're when you're some person who studies the science of outbreaks and of populations and, and stuff like that. It's you're going to become inured to that quickly. I would imagine you'd have to just as a defense mechanism. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I think, I think that the person who's going to be inert to those kind of things the most is probably, I would think, an emergency room doctor who sees it all day in and day out. The CDC people oftentimes, they're, they go on outbreak investigations, but they don't necessarily deal with the, the immediate consequences of, of their diseases on a regular basis. They see it more on public health on a broad scale. Is that something that you noticed, Stephanie, in the ER? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think just um, across the board, if, uh, you know, regardless of what kind of doctor you end up being, um, you have to adapt to become kind of detached um, in order to um, maintain a, a clear head, especially in the emergency room when you're, you know, dealing with these immediate life and death situations. You know, you you have to think of it um, in an algorithmic way and kind of like a, a problem to solve. Um, I really, you know, can't let myself get too emotional or it might cloud my judgment. Um, so, you know, that's what we go through in our training. You know, we just see patient after patient and um, we begin to become really detached from it. Um, and that way we're actually better able to think logically and, and perform better. You know, I think it's the kind of doctor I want. I probably want the doctor who is somewhat detached from this because they've seen it a million times, meaning they're going to be better at, at healing me. Yeah. But, you know, we also, I think in the emergency room, um, we, as opposed to specialties like, um, I don't know, like radiologists, for example, we, it's actually very important in our training to also maintain um, good bedside manner um, because we have to um, deal with many different egos and um, have to sometimes deal with hysterical patients and try to calm them and try to um, figure out the answer. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has to be a balance and it's uh, definitely challenging sometimes dealing with, um, you know, basically every kind of personality um, to, you know, the most malignant and, and try to try to treat them. And sometimes it can be really, really difficult <laughs> to be to be empathetic when, you know, a patient is screaming at you or, you know, sometimes even physically abusive. Um, it, sometimes it can be difficult to to remember that you know, our job is to help people and to, to heal them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a daily challenge that we face, not just in the emergency room, but all doctors, you know. One of the big things about medicine is that there usually, although not always, is a, a correct medical choice in the, each situation. Um, there's a way that you can carry something out such that you will uh, give the person the best benefit. But the hard part is doing this in, within the constraints of human interaction and human idiosyncrasies. And those, more than anywhere else, come out in, in the emergency room and, and when people are hospitalized acutely. Um, you, get, you have to deal with the person, not just with their medical condition. And that oftentimes makes, makes things very difficult and can be aggravating when somebody is clearly not doing what you wish that they would do. <laughs> right. Right. On the on the subject of people not doing what they should, um, th this came up as a question with uh, a huge and hilarious variety of answers when we did our, our legal expert uh, panel 
and I, I'm going to pitch it again here. I mean, wh- is there anything that stands out in terms of watching medical shows where you just think either if I was in that situation and did that, that would earn me a smack in the mouth or just plain this would never happen? Oh, my gosh. I actually. So going back to Grey's Anatomy, um, you remember. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you <laughs> Our training is really nothing like Grey's Anatomy. I mean, they spend more time, like, making out in the stairways uh, (laughs) than anyone I've ever seen. And when did these people study or sleep? (laughs) Um, You're you're telling me elevators are not just, you know, hotbeds of sexual tension? (laughs) Unfortunately. I mean, in real life, you're probably so exhausted that (laughs) you... You don't even you can't even have time to like think about making out with someone else. But in any case, um, uh, there was one uh, one episode that or um, one issue that I remember is when Izzy had um, had fallen in love with Denny and then had tried to get him up to, up on the transplant list by cutting his LVAD wire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that. That is ridiculous. There is no way that she would be allowed anywhere near him or even continue to practice after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that I, I always remember. Very, very dramatic, good for TV. But in real life, she, she'd probably go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, anything stand up for you? Um, well, I mean, it just in general, uh, in-house, he... Uh, he the, he discounts everything that the patient says, uh, which which is about as far from what an actual infectious disease doctor does in real life as you could get. Um, but because in, 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 infectious disease, it's all about exposure. It's all about what you've done recently. It's about where you've traveled. It's about getting answers from you. And uh, and so the fact that he discounts that and then falls back on on kind of basic science or creation of of remedies out of the blue or going and in, in breaking into people's houses, which is, is bizarre. I don't even like, I don't even know people tell me and I'm relatively new to Oregon, but people tell me where they're from in Oregon and I don't even always know where they're from. So finding their house would be especially difficult. And it happened um, in every episode, every single episode. Yes. <laughs> and so just, just the idea that you throw out of the history from, from an interaction with the patient is just, it's just so far removed from the truth. You, I mean, it is one of the most important pieces of information we have when we're trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. One, one thing I know we've talked about in the past before, Rob, is, as I, as I understand it, maybe this was overstated, but you have a pet peeve about cauterizing wounds, gunshot wounds particularly on TV? Oh, cautery. I Well, no, my brother brought, brought this up with me a little while ago, asking me about cautery. My understanding is, so... When you if if you have bleeding and it's from small vessels and it's from little little blood vessels that's that's that are oozing, then cautery works. But otherwise, if you hit a big vessel anywhere or if there's a large wound that's bleeding a lot, just pure cautery is not going to cut it. (laughs) (laughs) Just heat you know heating up the flesh so that it it sticks together is not going to stop you know your large artery in your leg from bleeding out. It's going to take a little more than that. And so, uh, yeah, those situations, I mean, just the idea that out in the field, Rambo can get shot somewhere and then he'll <laughs> shove something hot in there and it'll make everything better. That's a, that's a little interesting to me. <laughs> so wait a second. So if I'm out in the field and I've had to cut 
half my left I've had to cut my left arm off at the elbow because my hand's been bitten by a by a walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, what should my next move be? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm not a surgeon, so I, I might be walking out, going outside of my field of specialty here. But um, <laughs> amputations, they they you you usually have to stop the or you have to tie off the large blood vessels. I don't and have then, time for that. It's not yeah, well, then, then that's tough. I mean, if you just cut off your own arm and then you apply enough pressure, then you might be able to stop bleeding and allow the, the, the wound to heal, thus leading to you just having an amputation. But actually heating stuff up and cauterizing it with heat is not nearly as effective as just pressure, usually. So, okay. so, so then you just have a giant uh, heat wound as well as you're <laughs> right. yeah. seeping... Lovely. That's delightful. That's delightful. Um, well, because th- that does seem like um, I, with, you know, The Walking Dead and other sort of shows like that, you do have more of those in the field moments. I feel like um, uh, somebody gets non-fatally shot on a cop show at least once a season and leaving a slight tremor in their hand. Or they did this on Grey's Anatomy at least once or twice as well, where there's a doctor who is a surgeon who somehow, even though there's a tremor, is able to hide this and keep practicing. Uh, uh, but, uh, but aside from the, 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 the wounds and that element of it, I'm curious what parts of, uh, of, of life as a doctor that we see represented on these TV shows are, are, are actually more real than we might guess. And the, like, like you guys had mentioned, the high school element to residency is very interesting to me that that is accurate. I'm curious um, if there are other elements to these different shows that you were surprised to find out actually were representative. I, well, I, I suppose whenever you see a doctor portrayed in television, you see them as being over, oftentimes overly committed to their practice and at the expense of something else. And I, I don't know if that always happens, but in Madison, there is a you have the it you have the ability to to focus too much on the profession at the expense of everything else because there's always more you can do there's always more work you can do there's always more time you can spend um, and and there is an expectation that everyone that you never uh, that you never fall back on your 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 colleagues as much as you should. There are times when uh, I mean throughout residency there'll be people who kind of brag about working while sick. Which being in the infectious disease field makes me uh, makes me very upset. <laughs> you should you should call in sick whenever you can, so you're not spreading illness. But but this is there's this idea that that you the, the profession is high, mighty, and above all else in life. When in reality, it it shouldn't always be. It shouldn't be more important than everything else that goes on in the world. Um, but I mean, it, so that certainly comes through a lot in, in these television shows. Right. It seems like no no doctors on TV are ever doctors and husbands and amateur fly fishermen and or whatever they're always just i am a doctor this is my life it depends if it's a comedy or if it's a drama because if it's a family sitcom you know like cosby show for example uh mr uh, bill cosby's character is is an obgyn so there are there are shows but yeah if it's a hospital set thing they all are married to the job yeah, well, I think it depends on what kind of doctor um, you end up uh, being, um, because there are definitely some specialties that are far more demanding than others. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I agree with that sentiment with um, this kind of um, internal and external pressure that we feel um, 
due to the responsibility of being doctors and kind of going back to, I guess, the show Scrubs. What I really loved about that show was, yeah, at times it was really goofy, but it also had a really um, humane side. And sometimes it it would kind of delve into um, a little bit of JD's uh, inner turmoil about decisions that he made about patient treatment. And I definitely found that to be true, uh, especially in the beginning of residency when, you know, I had to make these decisions that sometimes could have been, you know, life or death for people. Um, and, you know, when I was at home, even when I wasn't working, I would feel this constant guilt um, about needing to study more because, you know, I, I owed it to my patients to, to learn more. But there's just always, I, I mean, you can really never learn everything. Um, so that's why I haven't read a book in four years. <laughs> I'm always reading my textbooks. Um, but yeah, that, that definitely does, I think, um, echo, uh, reality. Interesting. Well, what are the, uh, what's the reality or not? I'm very curious with talking about scrubs of the, uh, rep representation of the relationship with the, the doctors and the nurses, uh, or the, uh, the different fields is that as, as, um, fraught with peril as a show like Scrubs makes it appear? <laughs> I think that the different services definitely um, are a little at odds with each other. Um, but, you know, you make your friendships when you have to care for patients alongside um, other services. But um, being in the emergency department, for example, everybody hates us <laughs> because we essentially create work for other services. You know, if we say that a patient needs to be admitted, then that's another patient that the internal medicine service or what have you um, has to assume uh, care of. And uh, so being in the emergency department has um, its unique difficulties because we have to kind of play nice with everyone um, and we have to balance that with um, taking care of patients and, and being an advocate for the patient when maybe, you know, the overworked resident on the other end who may be having to take care of the patient when they're admitted um, doesn't really want to. And they're tired at three o'clock in the morning and they're saying, oh, gosh, another admission. And we have to kind of um, mediate that. So, yeah, it's uh, it can be difficult sometimes. And there are definitely um, arguments. And sometimes I've witnessed a, a handful of screaming matches <laughs> between different services. But, um, you know, we all, I think, in the end, um, figure out a way to coexist. <laughs> And, and with regards to nurses, uh, you definitely need to have a good relationship with your nursing staff oh, uh, because they they can they can make your life hell if you don't. And and if you are do have a good relationship with them, it makes everything go that much easier. Whenever if there are problems arise, whenever anything happens, what you need in medicine is good communication. And so if you're fighting with your staff constantly, or if or if they don't respect you, or they don't respect your decision making, it's just going to go poorly. And so you generally want a good relationship with everyone um, that you work with as much as possible. It, it, you know, people can people can get upset with each other for consulting, but as long as they respect each other, uh, then it, then it will always go better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a lot that plays into it is, you know, the fatigue. Um, and and sometimes, you know, if you're if you've been up for 36 hours straight, you may not be 
<laughs> as as patient or understanding as you would be otherwise. Um, and with regards to the relationship with nurses, um, it, it's difficult. It definitely, um, I think being a doctor, you have to learn to um, massage a lot of uh, other people's egos sometimes. Um, you are kind of seen as as leaders in the hospital, but that doesn't mean that you boss people around. You have to, um, uh, I guess, try to um, make the whole team work uh, together, I guess, especially in the emergency department. I'm sorry I keep talking about the emergency department, but that's my area of uh, familiarity. I mean, we have to to work as a team, and sometimes people get into arguments, not just um, different specialties, but um, between doctors and nurses or technicians. You know, they may not all agree. Um, so I think doctors have a role of trying to um, uh, I guess help the the team keep flowing. That See, that sounds so reasonable, but it seems like so many conflicts on medical dramas, especially, boil down <laughs> to that classic beat of one man slapping another in the face and saying "Damn it, man!" You know, and and, and really, really imploring, or sometimes slapping a patient, like just you know, just enforcing one one ego over another rather than sort of aiming for compromise or trying to. Uh, uh, you know what you were saying about bedside manner like that's it, it's it seems seems like such a secondary consideration in so many shows i mean especially on a house where bedside <laughs> manner was essentially a joke uh, yeah i i so i don't know about everybody else's experience in medicine but um i found that the best way to get somebody to do something for you because the one thing about doctors is they're very independent beings and so each doctor can make his own decision about whether or not he's going to do x y and z um, and so what you need to do when you're calling somebody for a consult or you're calling somebody and asking them for their assistance and their specialty is you really are trying to convince them that they want to do it. You're trying to tell them a story where they want to become involved because they think that it's the right thing to do. And you're not just trying to just confront them and tell them it is something they have to do. And so that's usually ends up the best if you're calling somebody to say that they need to operate because, God damn it, you know this person has pancreatitis <laughs> or has you know, a gallbladder that needs to come out and you know better than them and they need to come down and do it. That's not going to work as well as calling them, telling them the story and making it sound like they should really come down and see this patient because they, you think their gallbladder needs to come out. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's, you, there's always this, this, this attempt to convince somebody that it's in their best interest, the patient's best interest, everybody's best interest that they come do what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And I think people do have different approaches. You know, I've worked with various uh, doctors with very different personalities. You know, some are very abrasive and um, sometimes kind of macho and maybe like bossing people around. <laughs> um, but others take a kind of softer approach, you know. Um, uh, and I personally, you know, prefer the, the softer approach. I think that things just work a little bit better if everybody gets along. Um and also recognizing that if, you know, you burn too many bridges, no matter, you know, how little uh, a role you think a person may have, they can make your life hell. <laughs> Even, you know, if you upset the nurses, you know, the nurses all talk and they can make your day hell. <laughs> so I think it's just in everybody's best interest to just try and get along.
I'm, I'm now imagining a series with Kyle Chandler as the nice doctor who just tries <laughs> to smooth everything over and at worst just gives you tough love and what you need to hear. <laughs> I would watch that show. Uh, well, and that actually, that does make, uh, make me curious about the different personalities, because I feel like on these medical shows, it's always, first of all, every, um, every situation, for the most part, is life and death, and all the doctors have a god complex, and I'm curious just how accurate that is. It sounds like it probably is, you know, you'd think you'd have to have some level of that, if you're, especially if you're going to be a surgeon, but if you're going to go into to medicine. Um, but then they're always, they're always type A. They're always very aggressive. They're always very competitive. Uh, how how much uh, how much variety do you guys see in you know in your standard group of doctors that might work together? Is it a lot of very similar people, or is there more variety than we tend to see on these shows? I think that there's a lot of variety, actually. Yeah, I mean, just within my residency class, for example, I mean, there are some people that have a reputation of uh, being cowboys and just kind of um, going, um, you know, doing whatever they feel at the moment are very impulsive. Um, and there are other people who are very conservative. Um, who, you know, kind of are worry warts and, and will double check everything before, um, they, before they, they make a move. Um, so I think it definitely goes uh, across the spectrum. I think it's, it's really just like any other job, um, where, you know, a particular job may attract a, a person with a particular interest. Um, but even within that job market, um, you have a, a variety of different personalities. I, yeah, I would say that that the one uh, one characteristic of all, no matter what specialty everybody has gone into in medicine, the one characteristic that is kind of across all fields is that people had ha have to have a very strong commitment to to, or at least a good sense of stick with itness, I guess, to even get through all of medicine, to get to that point in your life. And so people tend not to, people tend to be pretty committed and, uh, and able to work long hours, able to, to do whatever is necessary. Um, but then, you know, of course, everybody has their own way of going about and doing that. Um, some, some fields are more cavalier than other fields. Some fields are more jocular. Some fields are a little more serious. I mean, okay. Any, any, any more details? Uh, well, I, mean, I, I want to know. There's all sorts of stereotypes out there that, that don't always stick, but oftentimes are used. And, and so, you know, like orthopedists will be a certain type of personality and a kidney doctor will be a different personality. An internal medicine doctor will be a different personality. I mean, We're not going to get you to, to lock those down, well, are you? <laughs> I, will, I will say orthopedic, orthopedic doctors tend to be, I mean, if you had to apply a stereotype to them, they'd be the jocks of the hospital. Um, <laughs> Whereas the, the kind of the internal medicine doctors would be kind of the nerds of the hospital. I, I mean, and then it's just the just general stereotypes, but they don't always fit. You sometimes get one or the other that falls in a different path. But um, but they, I know that fields attract a certain type of pe person usually. Yeah. I mean, these stereotypes that we do see on television do stem from a little bit of truth. Um, I, I totally agree with that statement. The orthopedists are, are usually... Um, like you picture that they probably used to play football or something <laughs> because, you know, the orthopedists are essentially carpenters of the human body. You know, they literally use nails and plates to kind of put things together. So these uh, it definitely attracts, I think, um, usually kind of tall 
broad-shouldered men. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, every now and then, though, you do see like a um, like a five-foot-tall um, little uh, woman. So, um, but those definitely, you know, I I'm sure those women definitely get um, picked on a little bit for that. Um, and uh, on the whole, you know, I think like the touchy-feely people are uh, kind of like the pediatricians who are just happy and smiling <laughs> all the time. And uh, like dermatologists, for example, they usually are uh, pretty attractive and, and well-dressed <laughs> all the time. So there's definitely some truth, although, of course, it's not um, completely across the board. Um, and emergency physicians, for example, I, I noticed do seem to attract people who um, are uh, more thrill seekers or kind of adrenaline junkies. There's definitely, I think, more um, like rock climbers and skydivers mm -hmm. <laughs> within emergency medicine, for example, than, um, than perhaps other specialties, I, I would guess. And I think it's just, you know, because you know, we chose that specialty because we're drawn to that action, that excitement in the moment, whereas some people are um, perhaps more um, cerebral and like to have time to um, to discuss and ruminate for a, for a long time um, about things, um, which has its benefits as well. So, yeah, I mean, just... I think different uh, specialties have different aspects of, of the job that attract certain people. And that's immediately making me think of Grey's Anatomy and shiny, happy Arizona being the peds doctor and these different things. So it's interesting to hear that that is, that that is, does come from someplace. And I mean, it makes sense. The same thing is true of uh, being an orchestral musician. You know, there's, there's distinct personalities in each instrument group as well. So <laughs> it just makes sense as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Um, now uh we've already we've already gone long but uh i guess I, one of the final things i i would love to ask you is if you know put you into a tv show which tv show that you've seen would you most want to work in and which doctor would you want to be your doctor because i feel like those would be very different answers potentially oh hmm. i think i would probably want to be in the show Scrubs because they look like they're having so much fun all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Doctor Who I would want to be. That's that's a really tough one. I I feel like ah oh, that that's tough because in some ways I would want to be House because he's just so brilliant but with someone else's bedside manner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Rob? Um, so I guess, uh, I don't, the question of who you would want to be as a doctor, um, ah, that's tough. I suppose, uh, yeah, I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, there are old <laughs> shows like... Uh, uh, what was it? Quincy. I was going to say Quincy. That seems like it's, I mean, it seems like a pretty good life there. And then you get to be a doctor and you get to do other things. Um, now, as far as what kind of doctor I would want as my doctor, um, or taking care of me somehow back in, in, or somewhere deep in my heart, I really always respected, uh, the doctor from Battlestar Galactica. 
Oh, he's awesome. Coddle. <laughs> Doc Coddle. Just, just, just because he doesn't, I, he just does what he always thinks is right in the medical situation. And nobody's going to stop him from trying to do that. <laughs> and so he, and so his focus on very much is very much the idea of what most doctors try to do is do what's right for the patient, be damned, whatever else happens. And so that, that idea, that's what you really want as a doctor is them looking out for you more than anyone else. Interesting. And now, now I'm thinking of spaceship doctors and <laughs> I've got the series of Trek doctors in my mind and it's good stuff. Uh, Simon, Don't forget Zoidberg. Oh, of course. <laughs> Of course, of course, Zoidberg. What about some of these frequently represented maladies? Like how off, how common is like a Munchausen's or just or just like hypochondriacs showing up, convinced they're dying of a mole, uh, or or just the sniffles? Like or or um, I feel like there's exper like there's trials like these high risk new trials clinical trials going on all the time <laughs> on medical shows, and this that can't be very common. Right. I well, I can't really speak as much um, on the end of uh, the clinical trials um, being in the emergency department, but I definitely see a lot of patients who um, I, I don't diagnose as having um, or being a hypochondriac, but they, if if I did, I would, you know, <laughs> like they just keep coming back for every little complaint. You know, they will wait 12 hours in the waiting room for a stuffy nose, convinced that, you know, they have a nose cancer or something. Um, so, yeah, we especially in the emergency department, we do see that a lot. One thing that I, I actually am um, disappointed that I don't see more of <laughs> is actually um, like foreign bodies, <laughs> like foreign bodies. I actually have not seen one in four years of residency training. That's a little bit disappointing to me because I feel like, you know, we see that on TV all the time. Although, um, kind of going back to the, the cauterizing pet peeve that you have. Absolutely. Because, you know, I actually had, um, cause patients will see these TV shows, right. And try to treat themselves. So recently, um, well, I think this was uh, sometime last year, but, uh, I had a case where, um, a, a boy, um, had a penis ring, um, that was ripped out. Um, accidentally. <laughs> and um, it wouldn't stop bleeding. So what he tried to do was he tried to terrorize it himself. Oh, my God. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Um, I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> okay, you... should I just not go on? <laughs> that should have no, no, come you... with a trigger warning. <laughs> no, you have to continue. You can't leave it there now. <laughs> Well, um, he had um, tried to heat a pair of scissors on his stove mm -hmm. um, and try to cauterize it himself, and that didn't work. So, God, no, yeah. it didn't work. <laughs> so, <laughs> listeners, beware. So, yeah. wait a second. Go to the emergency room. Don't so, if I so if I have a, a a cock ring mishap, that's not the correct. Uh, <laughs> not the correct <laughs> mode of operation. I can't even use words right now. <laughs> I mean, I think that's part of the, the great thing about working in the emergency department. You see just a, a constant variety of different complaints and some kind of, you know, are, are a little funny. Put a smile on your face. 
<laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> and wow. that's just absolutely um, shocking. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely interesting and also rewarding to to be there, you know, to take care of it and and. Um, <laughs> you felt rewarded by that situation. Well, <laughs> to be able to help stop the bleeding. <laughs> yeah, God. Well, because I know the one thing that because uh, I, I, I even knowing almost nothing about medicine, the one thing I do know is that if you get in, stabbed with something, for example, you leave it in. And I watch all of these these shows where um, somebody gets gets stabbed, and they take the thing out, and they so they are, don't happen to be bleeding because it's I don't know it's a seven or eight o'clock show, and so they don't uh, want to show the blood, and then they proceed to chase after some person. It's like you would be dead, <laughs> Sydney Bristow or whoever it is, you know, you know, random character. So like that that's one I know that TV shows get wrong a lot of time for plot conveniences. It's like. Be if you get stabbed, leave it in and call for help. Right. Uh, are there other things like that that shows seem to always get wrong? <laughs> I think shows um, tend to always go after the bullet, right? Because I think that it's like sexy on TV or something if they show a character pulling a bullet out of someone. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in in reality, um, most of the bullets stay in. If they're if they're not causing a problem, then that person may just have a bullet in their back the rest of their life. Yeah, I have noticed that too. That in television shows, there's always this terrible situation where somebody's been shot and they're doing awful, and nobody can figure out why, and they pull out the bullet, and suddenly they're doing better. As if that makes some big difference, having the bullet out of there. <laughs> and frankly, if I got shot, I would want to keep the bullet. If I survived, <laughs> that that's a conversation piece. Yeah. Through and through is, you know, seem to, seem to just be, and, and if, if you've been shot, but it's gone out, then you're going to be fine, yeah. too. I and don't know. The the other one that always shows up in television shows, the classic medical one that shows up, is the uh, the person who goes down or something happens and then they get CPR and then they pop right back up and they keep going. As <laughs> as if that like you know when you go down and you require actual CPR. Now I have actually seen residents do CPR on somebody who doesn't need CPR, where they start pushing on their chest and the person just wakes up and says, "Get off of me." <laughs> <laughs> and so I've seen that happen. Um, those people would do fine either way, but actual CPR, you don't just pop right back up and keep moving. It's not like you just you just get up and are better. You've, you're you in a pretty dire situation if you're getting CPR. Right, right. Yeah, usually when people require CPR, um, first of all, when when a person's heart stops or go in, it goes into an arrhythmia, we have to do CPR. Um, we actually only get people back a very small percentage of the time, even um, not just, you know, having them wake up right there, but even getting a pulse um, back on these people is it happens um, less than 10 percent of the time, I, I want to say, um, depending on how soon they were found. Um, so yeah, I mean, the chances of them jumping up (laughs) after CPR is pretty much impossible. I've never seen that. (laughs) Is it more successful? Is the CPR more successful if one of the other doctors, uh, says, 
just stop. They're gone. Just stop. And they keep going <laughs> because they care so much that that magically brings the person back. That, that's got to raise your chances, right? So that's like 15% then. <laughs> somebody, somebody in the room has to yell, God damn it, you're not going to die on me. Yeah. You know what's funny is right now, as I'm thinking about it, the only show I can ever remember seeing someone perform CPR for a really long time and it doesn't work and it just really doesn't work and they're just dead is Baywatch. I remember that happened on Baywatch once. Interesting. Hmm. Every every other show that I can think of, at least once, it's miraculously worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or they just like thump on their chest with one fist. And, they, yeah. and again, it's like, damn it, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually remember back when I was a medical student um, and uh, one of the senior residents who was about to graduate, he actually, um, not not during the code, because we do take the codes very seriously, everybody's very somber, but right before the code, um, when uh, we were preparing for the code to come in, he, he made a joke and he said, not on my watch. And <laughs> <laughs> everybody just died laughing. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that the 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 drama around uh, a code situation is really not um, not real. Like we we never find it that exciting. It, it becomes more systematic, um, if anything. It's it's kind of like you know something that you've done a million times, and you kind of go through um, this algorithm, but no one really gets emotional. There's not a lot of I'm a doctor, not a damn it Jim. in there okay good to know, good to know. unfortunately i'm just an anesthesiologist oh, good times well this has been so much fun and very enlightening I thank you so much for, for spending some time with us and uh, enlightening us a bit about uh, the, the wonderful world of, of medicine and the things we should see but don't see and the things maybe we shouldn't see anymore. On, uh, and we'll shows. always see. And we'll always see. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I apologize to listeners. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it was, it was delightful. Very, very <laughs> wonderful. Um, well, thank you again so much, Stephanie and Steph and Rob, for coming on. Um, you you guys don't have anything you want to plug at your doctors, so you don't have to. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't come to the any... hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Just okay. say no to penis get, rings. Get your flu shot. <laughs> or if you're going to have a penis ring, you know, there's certain things you shouldn't do. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, if you have a stove and scissors, there are certain things you shouldn't do. Just, just but especially not to your penis. <laughs> and on that note... Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you guys for, for spending some time with us. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.